Welcome to the Marie Manucherry Show, where energy and medicine meet. I will be your host for the next hour. I have over 16 years of professional healthcare experience and began my career as an energy medicine practitioner while working as an oncology nurse at a Seattle area hospital. My medical background combined with intuitive insights and skill in moving energy have been a catalyst for transformation in many people's lives. I hope the next hour will be transformative for you as well. Happy Thursday. Um, welcome to the Marie Manu Cherry Show, where energy and medicine meet. We're live here in Seattle. We're really South Bellevue, about 20 minutes from Seattle for those of you who don't live nearby. But I always say Seattle. And as you know, for those of you who listen to the show, um, I interview people on Thursdays. And I always love to interview authors, I think because I must have secretly known I was going to be a, an author, even though I fought not to be. <laughs> For some weird reason, um, I love, love, love books, and so I get the opportunity to interview all these amazing people that I think offer support and information and, you know, guidance, so you don't have to always listen to my guidance, which is always nice. And so today, I'm happy to interview Shirley Inabrad, who is the author of Over the Rainbow Bridge, um, it, it says, My Son's Journey from Here to Heaven. So it's a, a very interesting, sometimes heart-wrenching, I must admit, um, story. Welcome, Shirley, to the show. Thank you for having me. Yes, about your son. But it's also meant to be an uplifting story about um, how to be joyful and happy even in the midst of tragedy. Right. It's pretty funny because he was a pretty funny kid. <laughs> yeah. I, his main message was that you should enjoy your life no matter how much time you're given. <sighs> Yeah, and and he did, you know, amazingly so, despite some of his difficulties and challenges, he absolutely did. So, and you're not um, a stranger to radio or television. You ag- have actually been an award-winning producer for all kinds of programs. Right. I've been in TV since 1985, which the door opened for me because After, of my son. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was a private investigator before that. Okay, I missed that part. Okay, I'm going to have to like really go through this book a lot. You really were? Uh-huh. Oh, my gosh. You must have a good sense about people then. I do. Yeah. I'm, I'm very intuitive about people. I can mm-hmm. read them pretty quickly, mm-hmm. but um, I'm also a really good liar. Are you really? <laughs> um, you have to teach me. I suck at it. I'm so bad. Well, you have to be able to lie or uh-huh. act right. when you're pursuing people. You so. have to. As a detective, you have yeah. to lie right, and change your your appearance and exactly oh my goodness well congratulations (laughs) I know I made my mother very proud (laughs) well you did actually you know because um you know while I was reading um most of this lovely book I could feel your mother and how much she loves you and how proud she is of you always you know she always has been you were very lucky to have um a close healthy family in my opinion growing up you know, yeah. that had a strong spiritual connection to and didn't say, no, that can't be true. And only these things are true that, you know, you were allowed to keep your mind open, which was just such a blessing. Very lucky to have the grandfather that I had. Yeah. I mean, he was from Hawaii. And so even though he was a Methodist minister, he believed in, you know, I say otherworldly things like ghosts and spirits and stuff. That was the Hawaiian part of him. Hmm. And so I was just always raised with an open mind. So apparently that's why things happen to me all the time. All right. You were mentioning that before we went live that, you know, people hear about your life and they go, wow, those things don't happen to me. You no. know, why but you, you like them. But you like them, yeah, don't you? They don't bother me at all. Uh-huh. I've been trying to help cast a show for A&E called Paranormal Trauma. Oh. And it's so hard to find people that have been traumatized because uh-huh. especially I was in Hawaii 
And everybody that has experiences there, you know, they come to expect them, and so they're not traumatized by it. Mm-hmm. So that's been a big challenge recently is trying to cast this show. <laughs> and um, I only know people like me that aren't afraid. So right. it's been a real challenge. Right. <laughs> oh, I bet it has been a real challenge. So you you were born and raised in Hawaii. Is that true? No, I was born in California. In California. And mostly okay. raised here. Oh. Yeah. And then you have a daughter who lives in uh-huh. Maui. One lives in Maui and one lives on Oahu. Oh, okay. So you've got both. You're so lucky. You have to go to Hawaii to yeah. see them. <laughs> Poor me. Oh, I know. It's <laughs> awful. It's just terrible. But you're more a native of the Northwest. Yeah. You know, this is where you hang out. And, and, and the story, of course, um, I know Children's Hospital fairly well because um, I did an internship, you know, as nurses do. You do peds and you go to the big peds hospital around here. And, and I... As I was reading it, there was a part of me, like, because I remember being on cancer units for kids, and I worked in oncology, oncology, but could never do pediatrics, you know, just, I never could, and, and of course, I braved through, they were beautifully written, and, and you didn't make them scary, in fact, I love the way that um, the hospital staff even described leukemia, because that's what happened to Corey, ultimately, is he was diagnosed with leukemia. But the interesting part about, I mean, there's many interesting things about the story, and that's just a part of who he was, of course, Right, is that you had a premonition as a young person that you were going to have a child that got sick. When I was 10. Oh, my gosh. Freaked my mom out. <laughs> and then, unfortunately, it came true. Right. And, yeah. and Corey, of course, this was 30-some years ago when he was finally diagnosed. He started to have some signs his blood started to look weird when he was i think two at his two-year-old checkup uh-huh. he had um misshaped cells mm-hmm. that looked like they could possibly be two different fatal blood diseases yikes and then it went away so they thought it was just some weird transient anemia right and then 18 months later he got sick and um i didn't really recognize it at first because we all had the flu and it was around Christmas time, and, you know, his legs were tired when we went to the mall. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, come to find out later, it was probably bone pain. Uh-huh. I, I felt really terrible. Oh, please. That yeah. I, you know, How could you know? Didn't tune in, you know? Oh, yeah. But then all of a sudden, one day, he was almost transparent. He was so anemic. So, and he couldn't, he had no energy. But he was such a, an active child that one day he'd be flat, mm-hmm. and I'd go, oh, gosh, he's sick. And the next day, he'd be running around, and he'd be fine. And it kept going like that. And finally, I thought, oh, forget it. He's going to the doctor. <laughs> Right. Yeah. But it, it took a month for them to did. figure it out. It's in a, and maybe leukemia wasn't as prevalent as it has been now. I mean, it's unfortunately not. I mean, it is a childhood disease that we see. Luckily, some forms of childhood leukemia have a very high success rate of cure now, you know, 30 some years later. Um, and I, I think the doctors, at least in reading the story, they just did not want to believe that he had leukemia because Corey was a really active kid. He was, well, when he was um, first hospitalized, his hematocrit was eight. I know. His hemoglobin, I think, was two. two. Yeah. yeah. Scary. And the, the doctor goes, what does he do when he's normal, fly? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I read that. And, and, and yes, because even when he was an infant, I mean, like fresh out of the womb, he stood up. I mean, you were holding him and he pulled himself up and stood up. I mean, who's he, heard of that, I right? Know. He just grabbed my thumbs and stood up and arched his back and looked at me. And I went that. I'm not supposed to do that. <laughs> right. And that was your first baby, but you still knew. Yeah. <laughs> and you also described that the nurses said that he would, you know, prop himself up in the nursery and kind of awaken all the sleeping infants in the room. <laughs> and then go back to sleep. <laughs> he was a troublemaker. <laughs> Such a sweetheart. What a great spirit, you know. And um, he, he obviously wanted to live 
as fully as he could in his nine years of life, you know, and uh, and enjoy his family, which he did very, very much, and drive you a little nuts, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> once in a while. <laughs> once in a while. He was very, um, very full of it. In many ways, he had a really funny sense of humor. He would play practical jokes on me all the time. Really? Well, like the one where he hid behind a chair and you were searching for him endlessly throughout the house and outside. That's when he was a toddler. He was doing stuff like that. (laughs) But he he would imitate my secretary when she came over. And then she'd know that I had been talking about her. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Okay, yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, it was pretty funny. There was one time when I walked in the office and she had a cold, so she had tissue hanging from both sides of her nose, you know, her <laughs> nostrils. And I said, you can't sit in the front and answer phones. You need to go in one of the back offices. Uh-huh. So I was home that night telling my friend about it. And um, <laughs> the next time she came over, my son went in the bathroom and stuck tissue up his nose. And he came out and he was kind of waving it around. He said, does this look familiar? <laughs> she goes, you were talking about me? <laughs> yeah. And so that would be hard, you know, I mean, and adorable because he's just a baby or a young person and all of those things. Um, And so back to this premonition, because I thought it was fascinating. I have gotten premonitions my whole entire life. So and I was worried when I was a young mother, I'd be like, did I get any premonitions? I was always kind of a overly freaked out parent. And I don't remember any any of them. Thank goodness if I had any. Um, But you and your mother because you were completely honest with your mother about your premonition. In fact, you wrote a small little poem about it, which she found and then talked to you about it. And um, and then after that, you guys never discussed it until he was diagnosed. Till he's, well, the first time when he had those, those weird blood results, mm-hmm. we kind of looked at each other. And, you know, we didn't want to say anything because then it would make it real. But then when it happened a year and a half later, <clears throat> excuse me, I called my brother from the hospital and said, go tell mom in person, because I didn't want to tell her over the phone and have her be by herself. So the first thing she did was pick up the phone and call me and say, it's happening, isn't it? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Uh, so we knew. Right. And it was hard, you know, because I still wanted to have hope. And I, you know, I worked at that. Sure. But in the back of my mind, I kind of knew it was, you know, it was unfolding. Right. As right. I saw it. But he was so, um, I always describe him as living in fast forward, because mm. he was crawling when he was, you know, three months old and sitting up at four months and talking. And so because he was in fast forward, I knew he was the child. Right. That I'd had the premonition about. Right. And it was actually a voice you heard. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. It was a voice. Yeah. And you even knew what disease it was going to be, which was fascinating because you were young yourself. You're like 10 years years old. old. And I'd never heard the word cancer before. Wow. So it was a, it was a very interesting (laughs) life that I had, but like you, I think I've had a lot of premonitions, mm-hmm. you know, over the years. But mm-hmm. that was the one that stuck out the most because I'd written the poem about it, and it was the scariest one. Right, right, right. And I, I think we get premonitions to just have us prepared, you know. And I think especially as an intuitive like you are, so intuitive, that you need that preparation because otherwise it can be just a big shock to your system. Right. And, yeah. I, you know, and I've always been the kind of person that I need to know what I'm up against. Ah. So I think that's why I was given that gift. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so one of the things you say about Corey is that he taught that living with a terminal illness doesn't have to get in the way of being happy and enjoying the time you've been given. And and so how did that play out for you guys? You know, I'm sure he was hospitalized for periods of time. The first time I think it was only a week. But, I'm you know, um, they do, I'm sure they've made changes with um, chemotherapy and, and leukemia from that time period, but at least with adults, they had to be in-house for six weeks. So when I was an oncology nurse, children obviously heal faster. 
and, you know, go go running out in the street sooner. Well, because we lived in Seattle, mm-hmm. they preferred that he not be inpatient because ah. you could get staff and things like that. So he was only hospitalized twice oh, wow. for two weekends. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and the rest was all done outpatient through the clinic and through his pediatrician's office. That's fantastic. Yeah, especially back then. Yeah, that's amazing. Know? But he um, he was very healthy for the first 27 months. And, you know, they give you those statistics. If you make it this far, then you've got it. Your, your chances go up. Well, huh. we sort of had a little bit of false hope after that. But he had a double relapse in his testes and in his bone marrow. And so his... Prognosis went from 80% to less than 10. Wow. With that, you know, one double relapse. Wow. So, you know, it was kind of difficult. And then we just decided to live each day and um, make it as much fun as possible. Mm -hmm. And I remember one time we did a hayride at Christmas time, and then everybody came to our house afterwards. It was all my brothers and sisters and their families. And um, we ordered pizzas and just hung out. And he just came and gave me the biggest hug. And he said, Mom, he says, you always make living fun. That's just beautiful. That's just beautiful. So I always think that people pretty much know when they want to leave this place. I I think that we choose when we want to go. And and so I think that especially when we're young and we want to leave at a particular a young age, that there's something in particular that we wanted to learn. And we in Corey's case, he he only needed nine years to do it. Have you thought about what it is that he wanted his being to learn? Before he crossed, I know he did tons of teaching and, and exposed you to Elizabeth Kerbler-Ross, which is phenomenal. I can't wait to talk about that. Well, and Elizabeth um, actually told him that he came to teach oh, wow. that lifetime, not to learn, because he was having short-term memory problems after brain radiation, uh-huh. and he didn't want to go to school, which was his favorite thing. And it was because he would lose the words halfway through something he was trying to say. Mm. And so he was embarrassed and frustrated, and then when she called him, but she always had this weird connection where she would call him just at the just time like that he needed it. A telepathic connection. It was. And then it was she'd be on the phone. True, true <laughs> connection. And um, she always gave him the right answers. And she said, you know, you didn't come to learn. You came to teach. Oh, I believe it. And Completely. so, but he, um, when he was almost ready to die, mm-hmm. he was giving me instructions every night. You know, like, go get your pencil and your paper. And I'd have to sit there and take notes. And he told me then that um, he chose me to be his mom, you know, that you get to choose. Yeah. And that um, the life lessons you get to choose, you get options. And he said that his next lifetime would be called a bumper life, which meant that he would have no pain and it would just be a lot more fun. Huh. But that he came to put me on my path. Oh, my gosh. So, so his purpose was to put me on my path. Oh, my gosh. Which was to help other parents and, and help Elizabeth teach people not to be afraid of death. Mm-hmm. So one of the things at that time that he made me promise to do was to write this book. Wow. To help people. And I have received the most incredible feedback from people. That I mean, I cry when I get these emails and letters. Yeah. I, I, I got one just a couple of weeks ago from this gentleman who said that um, he had left the book for his wife to read because they both had had kids that had committed suicide mm. very close to each other. And he said, well, I've been married to this woman for 20 years. He said, but I lost her a long time ago. He said, I went away to Canada for a trade show. I left the book with her. She's not even done reading it. And he said, but I came back to the woman I married. Oh, my gosh. And he said, I, you know, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my gosh. 
Powerful, incredibly powerful. powerful. So clearly, Corey is a teacher and not just in a body, but while he's out in the ethers playing with Elizabeth (laughs) Kubler-Ross, who has passed, they've obviously been friends in previous lifetimes, and that's why they hooked up and and are teaching us that death is a normal part of life and a beautiful part of life if we only allow it to be. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. So we're going to go ahead and take a break here on the Marine Manu Cherry Show, and I'm interviewing Shirley Innebrad, the author of Over the Rainbow Bridge, a beautiful story about your son, Corey, and his interesting life challenges. And we'll open up the phone lines, too, if you want to call. Remember, Shirley is intuitive, and she was a detective in the past. You might want to ask her a question or two, because, you know, I'm not good at that line thing, so I don't always see the dark stuff. So um, uh, this is a treat. So we'll be right back. Have you ever wondered who you were in a past life or what you did exactly, how your life even ended? Did you know that your past lives play a pivotal role in who you are today? Come learn about your past lives at my past life integration workshop, Saturday, July 23rd from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. at the courtyard by Marriott on Lake Union. All of these situations don't have to replay in your current lifetime. During this day-long interactive workshop, I will share my interpretation of your past lives and offer healing techniques to serve as a catalyst for positive change in this lifetime. Sign up online at energyintuitive.com or call my office at 425-825-5671 to register. See you there. There's an exciting new astrology hour, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. with Deborah Silverman. Deborah's unique blend of psychology and astrology turns planetary language into plain English. Join us for an interactive hour that's guaranteed to give you personal insights in a fun and entertaining way. Tune in to Deborah Silverman Live. Whatever your life question, marriage, job, family, relocation, or just curiosity, call for a live reading Tuesdays at 5 p.m. And visit Deborah's website at DebraSilvermanAstrology.com. Are you looking for tools to enhance your life or to bring those things you desire into your life? Marie offers a variety of CDs to help you do just that. Get acquainted with your seven primary chakras and balance your human energy system. Or is embracing your intuition what you're looking to learn? Or would you rather focus on a healthy immune system? These CDs and more are available through Marie's website at energyintuitive.com. For a complete list of CDs available and their descriptions, please visit Marie's website today. Get your smile on with Alternative Talk 1150. And welcome back to the Marie Manu Cherry Show. We're live here on Thursday interviewing Shirley Innebred, the author of Over the Rainbow Bridge. And where can people get your book? They can get it from Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com, or they can get it from independent stores who, if they don't have in stock, can order them. Wonderful. That's, it's, I love the cover of the book. It's oh, so beautiful. I mean, it really draws you in. It has this, for those of you who haven't seen it, it has a beautiful picture of Corey. I'm not sure what age he was in that Five. picture. Oh, he's so cute. In fact, there's a picture of you and your um, second child. Bree is her name? Bri. Bri. Um, you and Corey and Bri in the book. That's oh, It's one of my favorite pictures. It's so beautiful. It's gorgeous. But, you know, it's set over what looks like almost like eastern Washington, the Palouse a little bit, and then a gorgeous rainbow. It's just stunning. Yeah. Um, the gal that did that, her name's Laura Zugdis. She does great work. But, um, you know, I forgot. It's also an ebook. Oh, wonderful. Um, via Smashwords. Um, Smashwords? Uh-huh. Okay, that's good because people love that. They love their Kindles and 
those things that I haven't done yet. Yeah, me too. <laughs> you haven't either. I like the covers and the smell of paper. So in your interesting, you know, life enfoldment with your oldest child, uh, you met Elizabeth Kerbler Ross um, before your son passed away, a couple years before he passed. How did that meeting come about? Well, we were pretty close with the social worker at Children's because there was only one at the time. <laughs> and um, she had gone to a Kubler-Ross five-day grief workshop. Wow. So when she came back, she was all hyper about it. And she said, um, you know, have you heard of her? And I said, oh, I've read articles about her for years. I'd love to meet her. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, she's coming to Seattle to do a teaching video at the University of Washington um, with Dr. McCormick. Mm. And um, there, she wants a couple families. She said, so, you know, why didn't you and your mom and your kids come? Because I was a single parent. Wow. And then she was going to line up another family with two parents. And we did the taping, and it was amazing. They just clicked. Oh, yeah, they're just souls. You know, they're from the same seed pod. Right. You know, just be, because, you know, Elizabeth was able to teach us, thankfully, about how precious death is. And how not to be afraid of it and to honor and cherish it. When we were on break, you mentioned that you told Corey since he was three that his body was his own and that he could make his own decisions. Very powerful thing to tell a child, especially a child that you're worried about and might need another bone marrow aspiration, which is no fun. Right. (laughs) But, you know, mostly because I I thought if he was going to be inpatient at any time and I couldn't be there the whole time, that he had a right to know what they were doing. And that if they wouldn't give him a good enough explanation, he could say no. Wow. So then that sort of blew up in my face later <laughs> when he wanted to stop treatment. And I was like, oh, no. I don't think it blew up in your face. I mean, I, I'm sure I would feel that way if roles were reversed and it was one of my children. Um, I know that one of our kids had a test that I intuitively felt they didn't need when my, our, one of our children was like 10 years old. My husband was adamant because we were told that she could have some serious problem and we need to do this test but my intuition was like no she's fine which she was thankfully um i think you did an incredible justice to to cory i mean one of the reasons why he chose you to be his mother that if he's going to go through all of this that he could maintain his power and his self-confidence and even though when he said okay i want to stop treatment (laughs) and then after he talked to his dad and apparently one of his physicians he decided to do treatment a little bit longer but he made you the strong hand in that final decision he did but the first time he asked i said no wow and then we met elizabeth and i talked to her about it and then i felt guilty (laughs) and then she said well what are you going to do the next time he asks and i said well i guess i'll have to support him now won't i (laughs) wow so the second time was the time his dad and his doctor talked him out of it and then the third time was when i supported it wow and we had problems from every direction but we stuck it out wow right well and today as you know some parents get arrested for not having their children have you know treatments for cancer when the family doesn't want to go ahead with that. And it doesn't even have to be religious reasons. I mean, people just may have, I don't want to do this any longer. Yeah. Although I think at Children's, I've heard of cases where they've actually supported the child. Mm -hmm. They're they're older than Mm eight-year-olds. The kid was like, the last one I heard about was 12 or 13. Wow. And so I thought, oh, well, you know, they're catching on. Mm -hmm. But in his case, because he was only eight, they kept saying, what are you doing? You know, (laughs) what are you doing letting a little kid make that decision? And I said, he's not a little kid. No, he's so smart. Yeah. And it was his body, you know, and I had to respect that. Oh, I'm impressed. I'm very impressed with how you handled all of that. I think it would be very hard on multiple levels. But I feel so fortunate for your son, too, that he has you because you're still his mother, you know, forever and ever. You know, you'll be in his energy and his life and all of those things. So now you conduct workshops, too, to help people with grief. 
I do. I've done grief work for the past 25 years um, through Providence Hospice, through Candlelighters Child of Cancer Foundation, and then um, I actually went to a grief recovery specialist training mm-hmm. just because I didn't have anything that looked official. I'd, I had done it all, you know, just by doing. And um, so I do help people get through grief, mm-hmm. whether they're adults or kids, but I, I especially love teenagers. Oh, really? So, yeah. What is it about teenagers that you like so much? Because they're such tough little nuts to crack. <laughs> they're challenging. But once they do the work, then they're amazing. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. So you mean they're tough in terms of they don't want to feel their feelings about their grief. And so you're thinking of maybe teenagers who've lost a parent or... Or a sibling or a grandparent. Wow. Mm -hmm. I did grief workshops for Providence Hospice of Everett for 15 years. And so we would alternate between little kids and teenagers. Wow. And I just love them. They're great. Oh, I just think that's lovely. Well, we know that you can be on the inside a little bit of a tough cookie. So that's how you can relate with (laughs) those adorable teenagers and find that soft mushy part inside of them. That's right. <laughs> so, uh, so you know, Corey's in and out of the hospital. You, in the meantime, had a few more children, two more kids, right, and ended a marriage and eventually went into a new marriage. I don't know when that new marriage began. A couple years after Corey passed. Oh, okay. But my husband was friends with him, so that has always been very nice because he understands, you know, I mean, even now, it's been a long time since he passed, but his birthday just, we just passed his birthday and his death date was Mother's Day. Oh, my goodness. And so every year around Mother's Day, I start feeling like, uh And it's been a long time, but it doesn't go away. No. You, you just get used to the pain. Mm-hmm. And when I tell newly bereaved parents that, it's like sticking a knife in their heart, but then they get it. Because it's true, yeah. right? Over yeah. time, yeah. So you things be, fade. You want to be truthful. Uh-huh. And it's, it's not that it fades necessarily. It's that you adapt. You get mm-hmm. used to that pain or mm-hmm. that hole that's, you know, part of your family. But... um I still, you know, I still get visits from him. Oh, you do? How nice. Yeah. So what's like a typical visit that you have from Corey? Well, usually it's just to tell me that, you know, every, he's reporting about somebody else. <laughs> oh, really? So he keeps you up on the family. Yeah. He's quite busy. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Okay. Um, so, well, yeah, we won't share that on the air, right? No. <laughs> have you ever been uh, to Lilydale, New York? I have not. I've heard about it's it. It's fantastic. Uh-huh. And I went there to do some research on a possible series and um, he came through, and we, oh we had a very gosh. interesting conversation, as did my mom and um, my sister-in-law. So your mother's on the other side, too, now. Yeah, both oh, of my parents. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Because yeah. I just really, I, I have never met your mother, obviously. In fact, I hadn't met you. I found out that you've been to a class of mine, but I didn't get to meet you, I don't believe, at that moment. But I just really liked your mom when I was reading the book. She just, was really something. Oh, very, very, um, she was just a true uh I always tell people she lived her baptism. Oh, my goodness. You know, she wow. was just so, a very genteel woman. Really? Yeah. yeah. And, and respectful, mm-hmm. you know, respectful of it, it. You know how I think people who understand intuition, uh, whether they realize it or not, it's it, this is what I'm getting about your mom. It's as if when things are said or shared, it gets bigger for her. So she knows it was important, even if she didn't discuss it at that moment or years later, she knew she knew what was important and she never forgot that. Just right. amazing. She was very quiet. Mm. Like, apparently, I took after my dad. <laughs> but, but she was um, very introspective, uh-huh. you know, and very deep. Oh, wow. But she was the most caring. I never in my life heard my mother ever gossip about anybody. Wow. Or say a bad, unkind thing. Wow. You know? And so she was a really good example. Of course, then when I went into television, that all went out the window. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what she called it, really? <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Yeah. That's funny. Um, and so for those of you who are listening that don't know what 
or where or what Lily Dell, New York is. It's a, a community of psychics that live in this very small community. You have to apply to buy a home there or to rent there. You yeah. have to be psychic. Well, you have to be tested. Yes. And they call themselves mediums. Oh, they do. I'm yes. sorry. They get, they get a little testy about yes. that. But there's um, 46 registered mediums. Oh, my But it's gosh. a it's a little tiny spir- spiritualist community that has... Yeah. Well, there's three restaurants and a post office and a museum and a library. It's bigger than I thought. And it's on yeah. this beautiful lake called Lake Casadega. Mm. But um, they are incredible people there. Mm-hmm. And some of those, some of the demonstrations are free, and there's free healings and stuff. But if you want an in-depth, you know, conversation with somebody who's crossed over, then then you sign up. Wow. You and, know, so, and it's like 65 bucks, which is really oh, cheap. Oh, very reasonable. Yeah. So people just, you know, like, they must have hours of operation. <laughs> you know, it's and, a summer camp. Oh. So it's mid-June till Labor Day. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah. I it's just, been there for 138 years. Wow. That would have been a really fun um, series. I would have loved to have seen a documentary or some program on that. I'm, think. Ho- I'm hoping it's still go. Oh, I was invited to come back this summer to do another book signing at their bookstore. And then I'm hoping to um, get permission to yeah, do it. Yeah, could next, you please? Next summer. Oh, I would love that. That would yeah. be, I'm, yeah, I can't wait. That just sounds so much fun. That's it's just a great lovely. place. It's fascinating. If, it must be. Yeah. yeah. And you had a great reading from family members and you already connect intuitively to people who are on the other side. So we know that if you liked it, we know it was uh, <laughs> class. <laughs> it was top class. So we're going to take another break here on the Marie Manu Cherry Show. We have live in the studio, Shirley Innabrad, the author of Over the Rainbow Bridge, the story of her son's life and um, all the wonderful things he taught you. And we'll be right back. The Healing from Within, Supporting a Healthy Brain DVD is now available for purchase. Marie and Dr. Sheila Dunn-Merritt's third DVD covers the human brain in its entirety. They describe the brain as being a universe filled with multi-sensory abilities. Learn why neurotransmitters and serotonin levels can affect your mood. Gain knowledge about what vitamins and minerals are imperative to healthy aging. Exercises and meditations are included. If you haven't picked up your copy of the first two DVDs on detoxification or heart health, they're available online at www.energyintuitive.com or by calling 425-825-5671. The Gary Mance Show, it's the home of mastery and mystery. Manson Mitchell welcomes actor Steve Allen, the father of the ugly baby on Seinfeld. Here he is. Oh, yeah. Kelly Sullivan Walden then returns to guide us through dream interpretation using both classic and modern symbols. Prosperous living then graces our airwaves when Deborah Wilson channels energy from the angelic realm. That's Manson Mitchell in the morning, Saturday at 10, followed by the Gary Mance Show at 11 Pacific. If you want to know how to get in touch with Marie or find out what's on her calendar, there's a variety of ways to do so. Become Marie's friend on Facebook or follow her on Twitter. Check out Marie's new website. It has a whole new look and added features like Chakra of the Month and a live Twitter feed. Sign up for Marie's free newsletter. Each quarter, she writes an in-depth article in response to Dear Marie questions. Email Marie if you'd like your question to be answered in an upcoming edition. For more information, visit Marie's website, energyintuitive.com, or call 425-825-5671. Conscious Living for Conscious People. Alternative Talk 1150. And welcome back to the Marie Manu Cherry Show. We're live. It's Thursday, so I get to interview. And I'm interviewing Shirley Innabrad, the author of Over the Rainbow Bridge, a story of her lovely 
fun, interesting, and psychic son, Corey. And so when Corey talked about the other side, because as he progressed in his health issues, and I'm sure after meeting Elizabeth Kripler-Ross, too, that, that helped and all of that, he started to have experiences on the other side. He did, for about a year and a half before wow. he passed. Mm-hmm. And he called the other side other Summerland? He called it Summerland. Summerland. The um, place where the sun always shines and they never see rain. Oh. <laughs> So and that those were so he would be gone, let's say, out of his body, sleeping for long periods of time, and then wake up and come back and report stories. Right. <gasps> yeah. Exciting. And then he got to where he could go when he was awake. He could just go at will, close his eyes and go and come back and tell me something incredible. Oh my gosh. But he had messages for people, you know. He, we met a lot of kids at the hospital that died before he did. So a lot of those kids he came back and gave me messages for their parents. You know, and they always thought I was kind of weird anyway. <laughs> so I, I would relay it through the social worker. Oh, that was so smart of you. Who was and, very supportive. Well, so, apparently. You know, yeah. one social worker for a, a growing hospital because it wasn't right. as popular as it is today. And I actually am proud of her. I mean, don't you think it's so interesting? I mean, obviously all this was meant to occur. You right. know, you have a premonition, a mother who supports that, a grandfather who tells you weird things are true. He doesn't understand them, but they're real. And um, and then a social worker in a hospital who's relaying messages from your son who's in Summerland <laughs> for, you know, on and off for a year and a half to family members and the right. children that have passed over. So he was re- transferring messages from his dead friends or. Yeah, very comforting messages for people. Um, so what's an example of a message, if you can recall one? Well, we had a little friend that we only knew as bald because he, we met him in the middle of treatment and. um he was, he, when Corey went out of body that night, he came back and he said, you know, Chris was showing his grandpa around. Hmm. And I said, really? And he said, yeah, well, two days later, we're in, he's getting a bone marrow tap. The doctor said, oh, did you hear Teddy Smith died? And I said, I already knew that. And she said, well, he just died yesterday at 4 a.m. And I said, I know. I said, Corey saw Chris showing his grandpa around. Oh, my gosh. So that one was pretty incredible. And then um, my mom had a friend who died from a brain tumor. And um, he came back with messages from her. Her name was Rose for my mom. And then I had had a friend who had died from a diving accident. Mm. And uh, his dad felt really guilty and horrible about it. And he said, Mom, he said, your friend Michael can run and dance and skip now. And he said he wants you to tell his dad not to feel guilty. Oh, my gosh. You know, that he's fine. So That is just beautiful. Yeah. Well, and Corey lived really a long time after he was diagnosed. Five and a half years. It's a long time when things aren't working. Right. You know, so that's pretty phenomenal. And so obviously he encountered people who left before he did because he probably even outlived his diagnosis more than once, it sounds like. Yeah. I mean, he he was uh, the fourth relapse was the last one. Mm -hmm. So what did he um, what did he like most about Summerland? Well, he just he he described it as colors, not of this earth. And he said there was flowers and beautiful music and meadows and pets were there. And he saw our dog who had died. And our dog was waiting for him on the bridge to help guide him across. Oh, my gosh. The first time he went out of body, he met my grandfather, who wasn't even alive when he was, you know, born. Oh, my gosh. But he came back and he said, I'm not afraid anymore. He said, your grandpa's going to take care of me. And he said, mm-hmm. your grandpa watches over you and your, un- you know, my uncles, because I have five brothers. And he says, and grandma, and he, and he loves you all. But he's, he said not to worry because he'll take care of me. Oh, my gosh. And how did that feel for you when, when he said that? Did he describe? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so that you were sure that's grandpa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was, um, 
it was kind of startling at first, but I had read a lot of Kubler-Ross articles about <laughs> out of you know body experiences and stuff, and so or near death or whatever, and so it wasn't that unusual for me. Mm-hmm. But it just told me that it was coming, right? And it was, and and I hope that some of the information was comforting. I mean, to know that your grandfather was there, because I think it would be hard to be comforted knowing that your child is leaving for summer land full time. You yeah. know, it's yeah. not just summer camp, it's forever. <laughs> um, but hopefully it was comforting knowing that your grandfather was there for Corey. Yeah. Well, and not just my grandfather, but, you know, Rose was there and my friend Michael and right various relatives. And then all the people he met in the hospital and right. their relatives. It's like a party over there, I'm <laughs> telling you. They, they were having a grand time. <laughs> people have a wonderful time on the other side. So have you noticed this um, gift, if you will? Um, have you noticed this in your other children? Are they interested in the other side or is it, you know, how does it play down in their life? Well, we had a ghost in our house in Lake Ridge, and so my older story. daughter, my older older daughter, you know, she doesn't have any qualms about it. Uh-huh. Um, my younger daughter has had some ghost experiences while living in Hawaii, and currently the apartment she lives in now, she said somebody yelled hey at her the other day, and she looked around, and her roommate wasn't home, <laughs> and so she's um, they're they're pretty open to it. I tried to give them the same sure. reassurances that my grandfather gave me. It's my husband that's worried. <laughs> It's your husband that he has the harder time He's with like, it. He doesn't want those experiences. <laughs> well, then he won't have them. Yeah, right. right. Yeah, exactly. You have to be open to them and and be okay with them on some level. You do, or or, or your soul wants you to open up to it, and it forces you to get comfortable with them. Yeah, I love the story about the ghost in Lakewood. You said right. I mean, because that ghost would take stuff. Yeah, he was a little brat. mischievous. Yeah. <laughs> and you said it was a younger ghost, is what you assumed. He was the same. Um, the kids described him as being around three because he oh was the same height and size as Brian Justin at the time. Because he would take Bry's, um clothing and Corey's... Um, wiffle bats. Wiffle bats. You, you said you had to buy numerous sets. I think at least 18. And, oh, my gosh. And I kept thinking when we went to move that I'd find him in the attic in the corner somewhere. Never I know, me him. too. When I was reading, I'm like, okay, where are they? You know, so he Gone. just took them to the to summer land, apparently. <laughs> well, and then the... Um, the weird thing was is things started appearing. Oh, my gosh. You know, in the front closet and behind the couch and stuff. And it wasn't mine or my roommate's. So we started looking at each other sideways going, uh-oh. Yes. <laughs> That's when we decided it was time to have the house exercised. And that was, you did that, really? Mm-hmm. You had an exorcism come in? We and... had a Catholic priest come. Oh, my. Was it fun? No. It, you know, it was <laughs> kind of boring. <laughs> yeah. He walked around the house, the outside, and threw holy water yeah. and said prayers, and then he went to the inside and he he had wooden crucifixes blessed by the um the bishop oh wow for each of the kids bedrooms and hung those up and, and that was it well and then he said three high masses so he said in three days he'll be gone and it, you could feel it uh-huh right yeah well because even though this was a mischievous being someone stuck someone who hasn't realized how fun Summerland is <laughs> yeah. and Corey was too young to tell him that at the time right that um yeah that it was actually a, con- I mean, a good being, but, you know, mischievous. Just yeah, just lost. Yeah. So um, you talk about having a roommate because at some point, Corey's dad had a lot of difficulty with his son's illness. Oh, right out of the gate. Yeah, that's yeah. what it says in the book. <laughs> it's like he wouldn't come to the ho- the first hospital, you know, when you're being rushed there because his hematocrit is eight. You know, it's a big deal, right? And he decided to work overtime. Right. But, yeah, no, it didn't, I don't think he lasted more than six months. Uh huh. And that's one of the first things they tell you on diagnosis 
is that a chronic illness like this in your child destroys good marriages. So I kind of knew. Right. That if, if it's not a good marriage, then it's going to disappear. Fast. Yeah. And so you've got a roommate. And the two of you shared chores and caring for each other's children and cooking. I mean, what a smart, another gift when I look at it, you know, support. It was like I had a wife. (laughs) Yeah. And we all need one, right? Exactly. Yeah, I could use a wife. Yeah. I have my assistant. She's very helpful, um, of course. But yeah, yeah, wives are great. Wives are great. She was doing the laundry and she was cooking and watching the kids and I'd go to work. (laughs) (laughs) Hey. I think that's great. Yeah. Until my son would call and say, she's trying to feed me weird stuff. And then he'd have to come home. And, and I'd go, what is it? And he'd go, it's cottage cheese with string beans. And I'd go, oh, <laughs> put her on the phone. <laughs> so he didn't like those types of no. food. What was Corey's favorite food? Um, well, he would have cravings depending on what drug he was on. Mm. And so for a period of time, he went through ch- fried chicken. And yeah. I still to this day cannot, really? I can't even look at it. So Kentucky fried chicken or just well, any kind? Did, nope, he did that. Uh-huh. And then first it was mom's and I finally burned out. <laughs> Then it was, he called it icky fried chicken. <laughs> and then it was banquet frozen chicken. And I bought our first microwave so he could make his own chicken. Oh, that's hysterical. In the middle of the night because he would wake me up all night long. Wanting it. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. So. And you said the prednisone really put him into, you know, like he would just eat you guys out of house and home. Well, and that's when he was craving salty stuff. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When he was on Decadron, he, he craved um, sugary stuff. Mm, interesting. Like right before he died, he was... I was going to the hostess store and buying stuff, and the pediatrician goes, he's gained 10 pounds in one month. And I said, well, what do you think is going to happen, Mike? And he he goes, you know, he could kill himself. Hello. He's dying. Yeah. Yeah. You tell him no. (laughs) (laughs) Which is kind of the interesting part, I think, when people are comfortable with death and dying. I mean, I knew I could never work at Children's because... I don't think I would last a day and, well, maybe a month. And you said that that was true. The nurses were the primary caregivers for your son, and they would be in this burnout schedule. You know, after right. a while, they wouldn't come home from vac- or back to work from vacation. Right. Yeah. It was a tough, that is a really tough assignment. It I is. admire the people that can, that can stick and it And they're out. amazing. Yeah. They're, I mean, and Children's obviously knows how to find those people who um, are comfortable with that. Yeah, and, and I have no problem with adults dying, apparently. In fact, I find it an honorable experience, and, and I enjoy pretty much every moment of it. But it is kind of that interesting place where, um, like what you said, well, they're dying. Like, you you know that. You get it. You're, you haven't tricked any part of your brain. It's like, well, they're graduating from college, or someone's getting married, or, you know, someone's getting div- a divorce. It's just a fact of life. Right. And so you were able to integrate life fully for Corey while he was on this really interesting um, journey. Yes, a beautiful (laughs) journey, a beautiful journey. So he still comes and gives you messages from Summerland. He does. He Uh does. Well, and actually the last time I talked to him was when I was at Lilydale. Oh, wow. And um, he's, I know that he is still watching over his his sister, Uh you know, because he told her he would always watch over her. Uh Uh-huh. And um, she had some interesting experiences when she was being a rebellious teenager. Really? He kept, she kept having a reoccurring um, dream visit, and <laughs> he, he finally told her off. Said, oh, You know, really? you need to straighten up. Wow. Yeah. And she did. She, she did. listened to him. Oh. Yeah, it took a while, but what she finally got good there. What a big brother. <laughs> yeah. I mean, oh, f- high five to him. What a great <laughs> big brother. And, and so we're not going to—I didn't read the end of the book, but we're not going to give away the end of the book, but the end of the book is very surprising. It is for a lot of people, and 
I get asked a lot, you know, because he died quite a while ago. Yeah. And they say, what took you so long? Because I wrote it a long time ago. Did you really? I didn't know that. And I let it sit for like 10 years. Because wow. the ending hadn't happened yet. Oh, my god! And then when I recognized the ending, I even gave it a little bit more time to see what else was going to happen. And um, so probably another extra year. Wow. But I fear, you know, and I don't think the world was ready for his messages yet. I agree. I mean, this is the perfect time for them now, you know, where, I mean, Lily Dell's been around for a while, but Lily Dell isn't everywhere. Well, I don't know hardly anybody that's ever heard of it. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, which is fascinating to me. That's why I wanted to do a series Could you please? I think it's a great idea. And now, you know, Medium's off the air now. And so we have room in our television cycle (laughs) (laughs) to have some really great shows from Lily Dell. You know, we're professional psychics, real, real tested psychics live day to day with other mediums, right? They don't like the word psychic, but with mediums, that's really fascinating. Yeah. So, um, you have a daughter that just graduated from college. I do. And now you're grandmother. I do. That's so exciting. Yeah. And so does Corey still give you insight on them, or do you think he's pretty much like, okay, they're fine, and you know, he's maybe moved on to his own life experiences that... Well, without giving away the end of the yes. book, <laughs> I know that he's very close to my grandson, uh-huh. my, my grandson who just is his namesake, actually. Oh, wow. And then my daughter's having another baby in another in next... Well, actually, she's due this month. Oh, my gosh. That's in so about three exciting. Weeks. Oh, yeah. my gosh. So you're going to be flying back to I am. Hawaii to uh, catch another baby. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe get some messages from Corey while you're there, right? <laughs> I get to go play with the new baby, yes. So what are your visions for um, at least Americans, but and because other countries seem to have, not all of them, but other countries seem to have, it seems, healthier views about life and death? I'm not sure why Americans have such a hard time, of, you know, letting go or acknowledging that, you know, everybody has to die. So yeah, how are you going to get to Summerland? Right. <laughs> well, you know, when Corey was about seven and a half, we got asked to speak at some alternative schools because they attended alternative schools. And we went out to Summit, and there was kids that were 17, 16, 17, and adults in the room. And the first question that Corey got was from a 17-year-old who said, how does it feel to know that you're dying? And Corey looked at him, and he said, hey, everybody's going to die. He said, so the real question is, how do you feel about living? (laughs) And the the boy didn't know what to say, and all the adults broke burst into tears. And Corey said, you know, I know that when I die, I will have lived my life the best way I could. He said, I'm kind to people, you know, and I and I don't ever intentionally hurt anyone, and um, I love my family, and so I'll be okay. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. nobody could top that, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, after that sort of end of conversation. I bet, but it was a quiet room after <laughs> that. Well, what a brave young boy to go out in the world and teach grown people, you know, and people older than him about life. Because that's really what he was saying. You know, I think a lot of people are afraid to really live. Right. You know, know that Mm -hmm. one of his favorite songs was The Rose. Mm. And one of his favorite lines was, you know, those afraid of dying cannot seem to live. Mm -hmm. And so that's why he wanted me to teach people that dying is just a natural part of the process. And so you have to live your life the best way you can, no matter how much time you're given. Right. Because none of us know for sure. Right. I mean, you know, we may have even predictions, but we have free will and we don't know for sure. I tell my clients who've been diagnosed with terminal illnesses and are so worried about death, you know, that's one of the reasons why they come to see me because they think that I can just change the entire plan. Um, I can certainly help them change their plan, perhaps, if that's what they really want. But I'll often say to them, I could get hit by a bus tomorrow and die and you could outlive me. And I think that comment kind of stops them, at least temporarily, 
from the fear that they have because it, it isn't something that um, it's not what we're meant to be concerned with is at the end of our life. It's just the moments that we have here because it's right. all short. But if people would recognize, you know, acknowledge it, then they could let themselves live mm-hmm. and get so much more enjoyment out of it mm-hmm. the time that they are mm-hmm. oh, given. Amazing. Just absolutely beautiful. Um, this is a, an excellent book, well-written and funny, too, you know, very funny, because obviously your life is not even slightly boring. <laughs> I mean, ghosts and predictions and Summerland and, and then working with conventional medicine and making that all work. Like, I'm still very happily surprised about your social worker. I mean, exciting that she she knew, you know, that it was important to get those messages across. Right. And I also believe in Western medicine, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that you can probably use it with alternative medicine. Absolutely. But I, w- I would be leery of going straight alternative. Mm-hmm. And we got a lot of weird letters in the mail, like people pushing coffee enemas and strange things. And, you know, I, that was not even a thought for me. Mm-hmm. I really trusted the doctors at Children's. Well, I think when people are, when it's their time to go, it doesn't matter what we do. Right. You know, they're going to leave their bodies. And I agree. I think combining um, choices that people make in conventional medicine with holistic and preventative medicine go a very long way. But again, if we're going to stay, we're going to figure it out and we're going to stay. <laughs> That's right. Otherwise, we're going to go hang out in Summerland <laughs> where um, for a Northwest boy, it doesn't rain. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's just amazing. Absolutely beautiful. So um, so your message really is to help people fully live. Right. So the book is more about life and living than it is about death and dying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's a big story. I mean, the death that occurred with a child. We all have problems with that. And even as a medium, I'm still surprised that I have problems with um, children passing. Um, and and so I think that's what catches people's attention to how you're able to graciously move through such a traumatic experience and come out whole, you know, and um, help other people find that same path. Right. And I think that um, when I help parents and give them some hope that they're going to survive like I did, it's because um, Corey gave me that strength and that knowledge, you know, that he was okay. And wow. that we're all going to die someday. Yeah. So, so that knowledge, I know we're, you know, we're getting close to an end of the show here, but that knowledge was like every time you went to Summerland and he would come back. Is that when do you think it really creeped in for you that he was going to be okay? Or was it before that? No, he told me before he was even diagnosed that he wasn't going to get to grow up. Oh, wow. When he was three. And then he repeated that when he was five after diagnosis. So he would give me little reminders, which Thanks a lot. I'm just a mom. I used to go, I'm just a mom. Don't tell me that. But, but he, you know, he kept he kept that message coming so that I wouldn't, you know, be able to uh, delude myself. So that is so because I believe children are our best teachers, and I just love what you said. I'm just a mom because I've heard moms report things that their kids say, and and, and it shocks them. You know, for weeks and months or years later. Um, it, this one woman I know says uh, she said that she was having a hard time with her oldest child and she was kind of being hard on him. And the youngest said, he's only five. He's only five, you know, and she had to like stop and why this little Buddha was telling her, you know, <laughs> that he's only five, you know. So, yeah, that's amazing. The other thing is, you know, a lot of kids talk about previous lifetimes and stuff mm-hmm. and their parents go, oh, don't say that. Don't be silly. And so then they stop talking about it. What, so when Corey started talking about previous lifetimes, I encouraged it and, you know, tried to get more information because I was just plain nosy. But <laughs> <laughs> The detective in you. But he really confirmed for me something that I had grown up believing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. he was pretty amazing. Abs- and he still is and, you know, has blessed us 
with your life and all your family's life. And of course, with this beautiful book, you know, helping Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, of course, spread her messages about how can we embrace death rather than run screaming from the room. <laughs> <laughs> Which doesn't do you any good. It doesn't, because it happens anyway, right? right? Yeah. I, I do think that um, people who, because I have a lot of clients whose friends disappear, you know, once they're diagnosed with a terminal illness or something that could potentially be terminal. And I just remind them that some people just can't handle it. That and happens to parents, too. Really? Yeah. That's, people that you thought were your friends just... Psh. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's really hard. Yeah, they just don't know what to say. But the reality is they don't have to say anything. Well, and they also don't want it to touch them. They don't want to think that it could be them next. Mm-hmm. So they they just, you know, they go into denial. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing you can do about it Mm-mm. except forgive them. So in the future, maybe the message is if you don't know what to say, just bring over a container of Kentucky Fried Chicken or some fried chicken. Or ice cream would be good. Ice cream. <laughs> she likes the ice cream better than the chicken. Yeah, that's just lovely. Well, it has been such a pleasure getting to know you. And you have some projects going on now like you're busy working in texas and here too and yeah always busy uh-huh and your daughter also got a degree in communications she did uh-huh. unfortunately for her but because <laughs> you asked her not to right i told her not to but she didn't listen and she's really happy though when i look at her she's excited pumped up i think that the two of you have very similar personalities you know she's a go-getter and she doesn't take no for an answer very easily no she's pretty tenacious she's yeah. real quiet is like she her really? dad but she is she is very um, busy like her mom. <laughs> yeah, I think she's going to have a very successful career, and I think, I think so. she'll love it. And she'll be asking, okay, now, Mom, what should I do? Yeah. You know, and you can give her all that great wisdom that you've had over the years. Do you ever think there'll be a movie made out of the book? Have you, you thought know, about that? You know, I've had so many people say it should be a movie. It should. And I've actually got an envelope in the back of my car, one to Sandra Bullock and one to, um, what's his name? I forget. Funny guy. Oh, Jim Carrey? No. Mm. Mm. You know, it's Stiller. Oh, okay, right. Because he was on Letterman talking about ghosts, and I thought, oh, he's a believer, so I was going to send him a copy of the book. Could you please send them copies? <laughs> I think it would be a great movie. They both have production companies, so that did cross my right. mind. And they're both compassionate people who like to share meaningful stories. So, yeah. You know, I mean, it would be a tearjerker. I mean, I would cry watching the movie. <laughs> um, but I think it would be a fabulous movie. In, enough interesting stories, not to mention the main story, but enough interesting stories to really get into it family dynamics. It would be very entertaining and educational, of course. Yeah. So I'm all for making that wonderful movie. Okay. If you know anybody. Well, you're you're more in the world than I am, but I will keep that in my hat because you never know what will happen, right? Yeah. But I think you should send it to Sandra Bullock. I think it's a good idea. Okay. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Oh, it was a pleasure. And I'm going to finish reading the book, so it's a good thing I don't know the ending, so I didn't give it away. (laughs) Um, But I've read about half of the book, and it's been very entertaining. So thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening to the show today. Um, I heard it's going to be sunny this weekend. Eric, have you heard that? Yes. (gasps) Yeah, they say uh, it's going to be sunny and warm. So Yeah, like 70-something. Looking forward to that, yeah. Maybe we'll get a tan. What do you think? I don't know. I think you've still got plenty of color from Italy. Really? Yeah, don't worry about that. Okay, okay, no tan. All right. Thank you, everyone. Um, Joyful blessings, and I will talk to you next week. Bye-bye for now. Thank you. That was really fun. Thank you.